0: Well, for those of you visiting with us, we're in the middle of a sermon series looking at our mission statement, um, which is by God's grace we glorify Him, we proclaim the gospel, grow in our faith, and serve one another. Uh, And this morning we're in the very middle uh, of the five sermons on proclaim the gospel. Uh, And so our passage for this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 16 through 20. Uh, That can be found on page number 1,550 of the Pew Bibles. And this is a familiar passage, uh, commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Again, that's Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I hear the word of the Lord. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the first uh, two Sundays of uh, our journey through our mission statement, we primarily focused on who we are as a church. We are an individual flock of sheep, we said, uh, called together by God. We're committed to each other. We've been entrusted by God to elders to lead us and to care for our spiritual well-being. And then last week, uh, we saw that we come together every Sunday uh, to glorify God and to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh, And we receive his mercy. And when we come together as a church, we together are God's temple, where his glorious, fiery presence dwells, and he is with us. And by faith, we know that this ordinary time uh, that we share together is uh, a taste of heaven. And then we go out into our individual lives and we abstain from the desires, our sinful desires, and we live such good lives uh, in front of unbelievers that they too may glorify God. And the only requirement to be a member of this community is to glorify him by receiving his mercy. That's it. We simply receive the mercy of God that he offers to us by faith, and we are a part of this group, this flock uh, that glorifies him together. So this morning, uh, we're going to begin to talk a little more specifically about what we do. As the church, we must come together to glorify him because that is the most basic response of a heart that has received the mercy of God. But what else has God called us to do as a church? And how do I, as an individual believer, participate in that work? Which takes us to the Great Commission. Um, So this morning... Our first point, we're going to simply try to understand the Great Commission. Um, what is the specific task that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission? And who is he giving that task to? And this first point, really, it's, it's kind of setting up the next two sermons as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's important to, to look at this passage so we can understand uh, our uh, proclamation of the gospel component of the uh, mission statement, but we also have to understand this, as we'll see, to understand uh, the growing in faith and the serving one another portion, which we'll get to in the next couple weeks. Um, So after we've explained the Great Commission, we're going to look at uh, proclaiming the gospel as the church, and then finally proclaiming the gospel as individual believers. Okay, now, on one hand, uh, the Great Commission actually needs no explanation. Jesus simply tells us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and that we are to go and to make disciples and to baptize them and teach them how to obey everything that he commands. Sounds simple enough, right? However, I think where most of us struggle uh, when it comes to the Great Commission is because each one of us knows that this command is for us personally. We all should be carrying out The Great Commission. We are all absolutely supposed to be making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. But we also have jobs and responsibilities. We volunteer at church. We give our time and our energy to other things like uh, charities and coaching or the Christian school. We also have to rest at some point in time as well. Um, God wants us to enjoy the wonderful gifts of his life that he's given us. We do go on vacations. We watch and play sports. We take in a show. And sometimes we spend time with friends over a good meal. And with all of that, it's hard to see where there's a lot of time left in our lives to, to go and to carry out the Great Commission. And then when we look at how full our lives are, and then we think about the Great Commission, and how much still needs to be done, it can be really easy to start feeling like we're not doing enough. We need to have a little more crazy love, some people would tell us. We need to be a little more radical, other preachers would tell us. And I think we all feel this weight of not doing enough when it comes to the Great Commission. We look at our world, and we know that we live in a world full of chaos and conflict. And it actually seems like the divisions are getting worse. There's wars and rumors of war. In our own country, the gods of consumerism, pleasure, and personal independence are freely worshiped. And we know we're living in a world that is starving for Jesus and that doesn't even know it. And that we, because we have the scriptures, we have the words of eternal life. And you know what? Jesus was living in a world just like that. And so after he suffers and dies and rises again from the dead, he meets with his disciples in Galilee right before he ascends to heaven. And, and this is what we're told. It says then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now there's only 11 disciples here because Judas had betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. And notice their mixed reaction when they see him. We're told that they worshipped him, but that some doubted. Now, that word doubted there is not the, the most common Greek word uh, that means doubted. Uh, this is a word that has connotations of, of being unsure, of hesitating. It's not like they didn't believe. They're standing there right across from the risen Jesus, so, so on Some level, they believed, they had faith, but so much has happened in so little time. Can you imagine how hard it was for them? They're still reeling, trying to make sense of it all. Let's also not forget that they've not yet received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked the earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven, and then 10 days after that is when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, which sent them out Uh, in power. So these are still the unsure, timid disciples who thought Jesus was going to take the throne of Israel on the earth. And so Jesus looks at this group of disciples who are very much like us, full of faith and joy and hesitation, all at the same time. And he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A couple things to notice. First, Jesus comes to them, he comes to this worshiping, doubting group of disciples. And you can almost imagine them standing away from him in awe and fear. But he comes to them and he assures them that all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth has been given to him. If you were with us a few months ago, we looked at the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And there, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. And now here at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus is telling his disciples that... <laughs> He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And notice, Jesus' authority is on one side of the Great Commission, and the other side he promises to be with us always to the very end of the age. Uh, One commentator said this, he said, So Jesus begins with the basis for the commission and ends with the strength for the commission. So Jesus is Lord Jesus is the king of his kingdom and all authority belongs to him, but he is also the source of all power and strength for those of us who are part of his kingdom. He's given us quite a mission, but he has the authority to give us that mission. And he has the power to move us worshiping, doubting disciples to actually carry it out. Now, as far as the mission itself is concerned, there are four verbs uh, or commands that Jesus gives us in this mission. In order, they are go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Now, one of the things that doesn't show up in the English translation is that in Greek, make disciples is actually the, um, the main verb here. Every one of the other disciples are all part disciples. Every one of the um, words uh, are all participles that are attached to the main verb. So th- those are all telling us how we make disciples. So the command is to make disciples, and we do that by going, by baptizing them, and by teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That's our mission. And if you remember, the, the theme verse for the Gospel of Matthew was Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, which reads this. She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, this is the angel speaking, if you recall, you are to give him the name Jesus, because... He will save his people from their sins. And we are saved from our sin when we believe the good news of the kingdom. And we are forgiven of our guilt, cleansed of our unrighteousness, and our forgiveness is a a gift that we receive by grace through faith. And our transformation into a citizen of the kingdom is also a gift that we receive by grace through faith. And a disciple is someone who has received forgiveness and is in the process of being transformed to be like their master. Many of us are familiar with uh, the concept of an apprentice, right? So if you want to be an electrician or a carpenter or a mason, uh, you would uh, go into an apprenticeship with someone who is already an electrician or a carpenter or a mason. And you work with that person and over time that person teaches you how to take on that craft. And that's exactly what becoming a disciple of Jesus is like. We learn from him through his word, by his spirit, in his church how to live our life as if Jesus were the one living through us. This is what Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life of I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the heart of a disciple of Jesus. And so the question before us today is how do we make disciples? Well, first we have to proclaim the gospel. We have to share the good news about what Jesus has done to save his people from their sins. We have to hear the law of God and all that he requires of us. And then we respond to that by repenting of our rebellion and putting our trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in our place. And then we and our children are baptized into the church where we grow in our faith and learn to obey his commands. That's how it works. This is where our mission statement comes from. Jesus' main command to his church is make disciples. And we do that by God's grace, right? It's his authority and his power that carries us along. We do that by coming together to glorify him as a unique community separate from the world who belong to each other, proclaiming the gospel, growing in faith, and serving one another. So with that in mind, For the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at how we, by God's grace, proclaim the gospel. So, proclaiming the gospel as the church, that's our second point uh, this morning. Okay, Uh, the Great Commission is actually given to the entire church. It's not given to us as individuals. And I think this is where we pile unnecessary guilt on ourselves and each other, Because we start asking ourselves if we are personally making enough disciples, and the answer to that question is, of course, no. But that's the wrong question to ask ourselves, and that's the wrong criteria to judge ourselves by, because the Great Commission is given to the entire church. Think about it this way. The mission of a football team is to score touchdowns and to stop the other team from scoring touchdowns. That is the mission of a football team. If you carry out that mission properly, you win the game. The mission of the church is to make disciples by baptizing them and going and teaching them to obey everything that Christ commands. But no single person on a football team is responsible for single handedly scoring every touchdown or stopping the other team from scoring a touchdown. Think about an offensive lineman. They will likely go their entire football career and never score a touchdown. They're an offensive lineman, so they're not playing defense. They, they will never stop anybody from scoring a touchdown. Some are kickers. They hardly ever play. But when they do, they have a very important part. It's the same with the church and the Great Commission. We are to go and make disciples. Baptize them and teach them to obey. But we do this together together. As a church. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we each have a part to play in carrying out the mission. Of the church. Some of the gifts Paul lists here are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Other gifts listed elsewhere in the New Testament include service, encouragement, giving, healing, leading. And together, together we reach unity in the faith and maturity. And together we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. None of us can carry out the Great Commission, on our own. Now you can probably see where we're going with this, right? There are some people within the church who God does set aside to proclaim the gospel. Just like there are some people on a football team who are set aside to actually score the touchdown. Some are pastors and teachers and evangelists. That's their gift But, shouldn't we all be proclaiming the gospel, Pastor Patrick? Isn't there some part that we all should play in actually proclaiming the gospel? Like the the part of me that doesn't want to have to enter into the awkward, you know, moment of sharing the gospel with another person really likes what you just said. But but I, I really feel like I should be sharing the gospel too, right? Yes, of course, but let me explain. Every one of us should, as 1 Peter Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. And every one of us should share the gospel with our children and close relatives and friends by simply living our ordinary Christian life out loud with them. God tells us through Moses, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Every one of us should be impressing the law and the gospel on our children and every one of us should be looking for opportunities to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and our co-workers in the ordinary rhythms of life. We should never shy away from being bold in those moments just because our primary gift is not evangelism. One piece of the armor of God and Ephesians chapter 6 is this, that, that our feet would be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We should all be ready to proclaim the gospel if the opportunity comes our way. And the truth is that some of us are more ready than others of us for these opportunities. May God grant us the grace and the faith to be more ready. But even if we're not ready at all. Even if we're the most timid person, even if we're the newest Christian, no matter our gifts, no matter our calling, no matter our circumstances in life, we all proclaim the gospel by coming together as a church for worship because the gospel is preached in this place every Sunday. So simply by walking through these doors, identifying with this flock of sheep called Emmanuel Church and giving our approval to what is said in this place, we are all proclaiming the gospel. When we gather in the glorious presence of our king as living stones that make up the temple of God, we proclaim the gospel. Paul says, we are to come to this place speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from our heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we do this, we are all proclaiming the gospel. So take heart, weary Christian, burdened by the weight of never doing enough, When you come here on Sunday to glorify him by receiving his mercy, you are also proclaiming the gospel and carrying out the great commission. When we eat the bread and the wine that points to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for sinners, we proclaim the gospel. Paul says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And even in our church, in our liturgy, It's meant to proclaim the gospel. The elements of a worship service that we find in scripture are singing, praying, tithing, preaching, reading God's word, and taking the sacraments. And the scriptures give us no exact order that we're supposed to do all those things. But the reformed tradition has ordered all those things in such a way that we tell the story of the gospel. We begin with a call to worship. For God speaks to us in his word and we respond by coming and praising him and then he greets us and welcomes us and then we hear his law. And when we hear his law, we confess our sins and then what does he do? He assures us of forgiveness and pardon. And then we respond to him in prayer and petition and then in gratitude, we give our tithes and offerings to him. And then we hear the gospel preached in his word and see the gospel on display in baptism or the Lord's Supper. And then finally, God blesses us and sends us out into the world as members of his household and citizens of his kingdom to abstain from sinful desires and to live good lives in front of unbelievers. Now, we don't have to do a worship service that way, but don't we all see the beauty of it? We, we come to this place and we see the gospel on display in the sacraments. We hear the gospel proclaimed with the word of god and we participate together in the story of the gospel through the liturgy and when we come here to this place week in and week out not only are we glorifying him together as the temple of god where his fiery presence dwells but we are proclaiming together the good news of what god has done for sinners and that all anyone has to do to be saved from their sins is receive his mercy that he offers freely to every single one of us in christ And for those who feel the weight of not doing enough, God invites us into this place week in and week out to glorify him by receiving his mercy and to believe that when we do that, we are proclaiming the gospel as he has called us to do. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. When we spin our wheels worried about whether we're doing enough or not, it's because we're afraid. We're afraid that God is not as generous as He says He is. We're holding on to the things of this world because it's so hard to believe that a kind and gracious God is pleased, pleased to give us the kingdom simply by receiving it as a gift. We're also afraid because we're all sinners. You and I are drawn to things that God hates and we stumble and fall. And even though we hate our sin and hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's hard to hold on to all of God's wonderful promises. Really? The Father is pleased to give me the kingdom? Doesn't he know my heart? Doesn't he know how lukewarm I am so much of the time? I worship him, but like the disciples, I doubt. Some days, if I'm honest, I desire my sin more than I desire him. And so we're afraid and we need to hear the gospel proclaimed to us every Sunday. We need to hear it over and over again that our father has been pleased to give us the kingdom. And actually, the more we believe that, regardless of what we do, the more we will do. Which takes us to our final point this morning. Proclaiming the gospel as individual believers. So as we've already said, God gives all of us individual gifts and calls all of us into different careers. And as we said last week from our passage in 1 Peter 2, we all glorify God in our individual lives by abstaining from sinful desires and living such good lives before unbelievers so that they will glorify God. And we also just said that each of us must be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. We are all to raise our children and live our lives by talking about God and his ways with our children and other people every day. When we walk along the road, when we sit down, stand up, lie down, and each of us is to have feet ready to share the gospel of peace. But regardless of how well any of us do any of that, Each one of us proclaims the gospel every Sunday by coming to this place to worship. And as we do that, what God will do is he will raise up missionaries and evangelists to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is what we see in the New Testament. From the moment Jesus ascends into heaven and sends down the Holy Spirit, the apostles are out sharing the good news of what God has done for sinners in Christ. In chapter two of Acts Peter proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 people are added to the church. And then in chapter 3, Peter and John go out and heal and proclaim the gospel. And in chapter 4, they continue to proclaim the gospel. And religious leaders are trying to stop them, but God protects them. And then there's this really cool scene where after God protects them, the whole church gathers together, and this is what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So the whole church is gathering together to pray for the missionaries and for the evangelists. And then in chapter five, the whole church deals with lies and hypocrisy from inside the church and continued opposition from outside the church. And then in chapter six of Acts, all of a sudden, the church has now grown to a point where there are so many people from so many different backgrounds that they're having trouble dealing with all the members within the church. So what does the church do? They appoint deacons to meet the needs of those within the church. Here's why we're told that. The apostles say in Acts chapter six, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, do you know what this means, Christian? When you serve at church, when you usher, when you work in the nursery, when you help out in the sound booth, learning to do the live stream or the PowerPoint or the sound, it might not seem like it, but you're proclaiming the gospel because you're taking care of very real needs that need to be done to free up those who have been called to the ministry of the word. Others of us are called to give. Some are called to lead. Some are called to administration, acts of service. And it might not seem like those things are proclaiming the gospel, just like it might not seem like a lineman in football is doing much to score a touchdown. But without those linemen blocking, the quarterback has no time to throw. The running back has no room to run. Paul says, in Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us in accordance with our faith. You see, we all have different gifts. And according to this verse, we are all given different amounts of grace and different amounts of faith. And we are called to simply use our gifts according to the grace God has given us and the faith that God has given us. However, this is not an excuse to say, well, I don't have enough faith and God didn't give me enough grace and I don't have very many gifts. So I guess I don't have to do anything. This is not an excuse to limit anything that God is calling us to do. This is freedom to embrace whatever God is calling you to do without any judgment or condemnation for not measuring up to some standard that God is not holding you to. This is an invitation to each of us to come to this place every Sunday and glorify God and proclaim the gospel together, as only Emmanuel Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California, can do. To serve in whatever way God is calling each of us, based on our gifts and the grace we've received and the faith we have, knowing that in coming here and serving, we are proclaiming the gospel. And to the rest, or sorry, and to rest in the fact that our Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. And all we have to do is receive it by faith. And when we come here and we use our gifts and when we go out into the world abstaining from sinful desires and living good lives before unbelievers, we can trust that God will raise up missionaries and evangelists. And I pray, I pray that he will raise up missionaries and evangelists right out of this church. I know as a parent, the idea of my kid leaving And going off to some foreign land to share the gospel and me not being able to spend time with them, this side of heaven, like I long to do, breaks my heart. But on the other side of the equation, if God would raise up one of my children to be a missionary or an evangelist and to take the gospel, how much joy and pleasure there would be in that at the same exact time. Again, we read this later in the book of Acts. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius and Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, Paul and, uh, is it Barnabas or Silas? One of them. And the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in Jewish synagogues and John was with them as their helper. Notice, there was a church. And that church has prophets and teachers. And then that church sets aside two men to go and proclaim the word of God. And the rest of them stay in Antioch living ordinary lives serving the church. Friends, this is how it works. As we all give ourselves to those things we are clearly called to do, which is gathering, glorifying God together as a church, being ready to share the gospel in our individual lives as opportunities come, abstaining from sinful desires, living good lives before unbelievers so that they will glorify God, and gathering together to proclaim the gospel as a body of believers through songs and sacraments and preaching, and then serving the church with our various gifts so that we can continue to proclaim the gospel week in and week out, we also send out evangelists and missionaries to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. Now listen to what Paul and Barnabas share about their work when they get back to the church in Antioch. We read, They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So they went around preaching the gospel, making disciples, and starting churches. And then on their way back, they went back through those churches, encouraging them to remain true in the faith, and they appointed elders in those churches. Friends, do we see a pattern? Ordinary churches full of ordinary people living ordinary lives, serving God with their gifts and calling. And God raises up people as evangelists and missionaries to go out and proclaim the gospel, start churches. Here's why. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his kingdom. We merely proclaim the kingdom and serve faithfully where he has called us to serve. The pressure is off, Christian. If somebody tells you you have to be radical or that you need to have crazy love, that is a law of God that is not in the Bible. What you need to do is rest in the finished work of Jesus, glorify him, proclaim the gospel in whatever way he's called you to proclaim the gospel. Whether that's serving at the church, sharing it with your children, sharing it with your friends. The picture Jesus gives us in Matthew is that of a mustard seed, right? Mustard seed is this tiny seed that just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And all we're called to do is to live faithful lives. And guess what I believe will happen? As we live faithful lives, as we rest in all that Christ has done for us, And we begin to hear the law preached to us from a place of rest. All of a sudden the law will become sweet to us. And he will will stir longings within us who are afraid that he would stir. I remember when I first uh, really heard the call of the law of God. I was 14 years old and it was given to me without the gospel. I just heard the law. And I thought, oh no, if I respond to this, I'm going to have to be a missionary in Africa. I didn't want to be a missionary in Africa because I was 14. I barely believed that Jesus died for me. And guess what? As we rest in all that Jesus has done for us, we will find ourselves doing more and more and more, but not out of a place of burden, not out of a place of like, oh no, I better go do this or else I'm not a good enough Christian, but out of a place of joy and gospel wonder. And if that doesn't happen in our life, guess what? We get to just cling to him because I don't know about you, but I find it hard just to live my ordinary faithful life. I I find it hard to to just give myself to the responsibilities that I know I'm called to, to to love my children, which I do poorly, to love my wife, which I fail at constantly. And and I constantly wanna just veg out and watch a show and eat too much food. That's the tension that, that we live in. And so for someone to come and say, you better go accomplish the Great Commission, it's just like, whoa. No, friends, we rest in Christ. We gather here on Sunday to receive his mercy, to glorify him, proclaim the gospel, to use our gifts, and he will build his church. He will build his kingdom. All we gotta do is proclaim it and trust it. And then later in Acts, this is what we're told happened when Paul and Barnabas got back to the church in Antioch that sent them out. We're told on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Can you imagine what an encouragement that would have been to this church when the missionaries that you sent out, right, that you, you gave money to go out and preach the gospel, return and tell you about how they have spread the gospel, made disciples, planted churches, and now those churches are doing the same thing that you're doing right here. Making disciples is our mission. This requires churches that glorify Him every Sunday and who bring together the gifts of every believer to proclaim the gospel every Sunday and who send out evangelists and missionaries to proclaim the gospel and plant churches to keep this mission going until the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are the one with all the authority and you are the one whose power is with us to accomplish the great commission until the end of the age. We're thankful, God, that the call of the gospel is so simple. To hear what you've done for us, to save us from our sins, to believe that news and then to rest in it and then to glorify you by receiving it. And then, Father, we know that as as you transform us to be more like Jesus, you will burn our hearts to be more bold. Not out of duty, but out of delight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.